Welcome to Real Life Mentoring, where we explore real life issues to help you make an authentic difference in the world. Well, today I have a good friend, Todd. Todd's going to interview me today. We interviewed Todd, my wife and I did, a few weeks ago, he and his wife, Todd and Jeannie Vinson. And anyway, you shared some of your story, Todd. Okay. And months before that, I'd listened to a podcast where another man had been interviewed by another man and talked about some of his childhood. And I just thought, that's pretty powerful stuff. It helps you process it. It helps me process it as the individual, as you, you know, you think about your, about growing up your own life. But the purpose is to actually help other people, right? Right. Yeah. So it's not, so I'm going to share some things today in this, in this episode that are not enjoyable, you know, to talk about, they were painful, but they're part of my journey. And so I have seen God work miracles in my life, Todd. And so that's, I guess that's the biggest purpose of doing this yeah. because I've dealt with this stuff over the years. And so, but I've never had another man interview me. So when I was thinking about doing this, I think last year, I thought, I don't want my wife to interview me. She knows my story, but there's something about having another man right. talk with me about some of this journey. So God brought you to my mind after we did your interview. And I thought, what an excellent way to do this. So thank you for doing that today. Well, that was so helpful for us too, because it also makes you look back and reflect and just see, you know, just by God's grace, the progress that you have made and that you're, you're not stuck there. And so hopefully this will be as helpful for you and the people that listen to your story today as well. So I want to thank you for interviewing Jeannie and I and just be able to share our story and hopefully encourage other people that you're you're not the only one going through it and you're, you're not alone in the process. So we can get started and you're, you're the guy in charge here today, all right? Tables are turned. I'm just, I'm I'm just, asking all the I'm just going to answer some questions, but I will say I obviously grew up in what we would call a dysfunctional home, dysfunctional family. That's not being critical. That's just a fact. Both of my parents have, have passed away over the last several years and I still honor them and want to. But as you and I have talked, trauma is trauma. And so I can push it away or go, you know, that wasn't healthy. And yeah, so I want to just talk through some of this stuff. And it's interesting. God has done so much in my life, Todd, over the years. I mean, true miracles that literally I've done this before. I've seen individuals or families who are in deep dysfunction from my perspective. And I've said to myself, I wonder how they get through life. How do they function? How do they make it through the day? Because I've, God has removed me so much from it. He's, he's healed my life so much that I've almost forgotten what it feels like to live in that. Right. Does that make sense? Right. When you're in the middle of it, you think this is just like, like you and I were talking earlier. It just feels normal. It, it does. It's all you know. Yeah. And so I'm reminded occasionally, Chris, you lived in some of that years ago. And so you were able to walk through it and come out on the other side because of your faith in Christ. Right. Not because of religion. Not because of of a, of a church, but because my relationship with God has changed everything, and uh, it doesn't mean things are are all tied up in a nice little bow today. There's still struggles and challenges, right? But you know, it's just so different. So anyway, take it away. Well, yeah, I, mean, I guess what I enjoy is you know, whether you're reading a book or a movie is you, you you may know the topic if it's a historical piece or something, but it's when you learn the backstory of how someone got to where they're at, you're going, oh wow, that's that's powerful. Oh, you and I have talked, and we met at the roastery, and have had conversations over the years. Oh, explain but... that roastery. Explain that. Okay, yeah. When you and I first met, I, I found a DOT coffee. When you and I met, we had moved to some warehouse space in Oklahoma City, and you had come to the warehouse, and we had some similarities from 
you know, living abroad, uh, loving Europe, loving culture, loving coffee, and then even more importantly, just being being kingdom minded and being followers of Christ. And so, you know, that was you know, coffee was kind of the connection to to get us connected. But it wasn't really until in the last I'd say year or so that we have gotten to just share more of our stories and and, and go deeper. And so, I just kind of want to ask you i mean i i know part of it but yes. you know, you know, tell me about early years you said you had you'd moved 21 different 21 different houses before you graduated from high school i mean what was that like what's crazy about that and there may be more these are the ones i can remember mm-hmm. okay but you graduate high school at the age of 18 right and so the you do the math there's at least 21 different houses i remember so that's less than a year in, in these places and we lived in three or four different small towns in Oklahoma and Texas and so it, you go why would you have moved so much well my father struggled with alcoholism now as a little kid you don't understand that right so that meant job loss uh, not paying the bills the rents due I mean all kinds of op- or not options uh, situations would arise and when I say we would move it's not like well you guys recently moved a year ago from a town called Edmond to Norman, where we live today. Right. You had some planning time, right? Right. Well, that was not even a factor when I was growing up. Not any part of the equation. No planning at all. And so just to give the listeners an understanding, you come home from school one day and you're told, oh, we're moving tomorrow or we're moving next week. I mean, it was like that quick. And you're putting stuff in your car because maybe you've been evicted or you can't pay the rent. Oh, yeah, that happened as well at times. And there's no closure not with teachers, friends, and I, I never really felt like I had a, had close friends because we moved so much. You never felt like you had a place that, that was home. You know, you, always, you were always, it always felt like I was the visitor, the guest, even right. though it was places where I lived. Even as a kid, you didn't, have, you didn't really have the wherewithal to even process that. No, it, it's just, it still boggles my mind to go when you're four years old, five years old, and you're put in a car and with stuff, and you're you arrive at a new place, a new house, maybe a new town. It, everything's new again. And again, it wasn't. Hey, let's come together. Let's let's talk about what we're going to do. Mom and Dad want you to know it's going to be just fine. I mean, they were doing the best they knew how, but it still was wrong. Right. In fact, that that's a statement that I've learned recently over the last year from a a counselor who I really respect, Adam Young, out of Colorado. Mm. He talks about this. Guys, just because you say, my parents did the best they could, it doesn't mean that it was still healthy. Right. Make, makes sense. Right. And so it's not being critical of someone. Yes, they did the best they could, but it was still really dysfunctional and caused a lot of pain. So moving around a lot. In fact, I used to, Todd, I used to brag about until about, I don't know, probably five, six years ago, I used to brag about loving change. Bring it on. And I, I thought, why do I love change so much? Because it was always there in front of me. You may not love it. It's just what you're familiar with. That's a great statement. It's what I'm familiar with. However, in talking to God about it one day, he humbled me. And he said, Chris, you don't love change across the board. You love change that you initiate. Wow. Change that is thrown upon you. You don't like that so much. Because right. it used to bug me that people struggle with change. I thought, oh, just get over it. Mm-hmm. Well, that was not a healthy perspective to have. Right. But anyway, so I've learned, no, I don't love change unless I initiate it. So I don't remember any change that I initiated because I was a kid. It was always just thrown upon me. Right. Yeah, which was 
that does a lot to your 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 mind about yourself. Right, because as a, as a kid, you have no control over that, and then you start thinking about those things as an adult, and it's easy to be locked in that and in those events and that memory. And you did. You know, what are some of the things that I'll, I'll instead of making a statement, I'll ask a question. What were the things that you did to cope with that as a, as a kid and a, and a teenager when when the change came? Man, that's a okay. That's a good question, and that wasn't prepared, which is good. Oh, sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. No, I'm no, no. from the hip here. I, I want it to be organic. <laughs> wow. Okay. Th- this sounds. It's not on my notes that I gave you, but this is. It sounds quirky, but I was a little cleaner. I mean, I would clean the house. Okay. Mm. I remember I would be at my aunt's house because I, I lived with this aunt of mine who was like a second mother at different times in my life. But I would clean the house instead of. I'm five years old, five and six years old. Instead of playing, you know what I'm doing? I'm cleaning the house. And, you know, jokes would be said, oh, look, Chris, he's our little cleaner. Isn't that cute? But a five and six-year-old little boy should not be cleaning the house. Five-year-old boy should be making a mess. Should be making a mess. <laughs> and I go, what was that about, you know? I, that's how I coped. It gave me a, I couldn't have said it back then, but it gave me a sense of water. It gave me a sense of control. Yeah. And I still am, they call me Mr. Clean. Okay. My family does. We laugh about it. But it's not I, just because the haircut? It's not just because the haircut. Okay. <laughs> but I realized, so I do like things clean and orderly, but I realized when I've crossed the line. Right. It makes sense? Right. So, okay, I'm going to clean the house today because I can, I feel good about it. It blesses my wife and my family, and I'm, I'm good to do that. But I know when I'm doing it too much because I'm trying to cope. So that, that's yeah. one way I coped. As a little kid, I would clean things. I would organize things because I didn't have a voice. There was right. no one to talk to about these things. In fact, how do you even, as a five- and six-year-old, unless an adult initiates a conversation, how do you even know to go to deep things and try to explain them? Yeah. You don't. You I mean, you, you, as a five-year-old, it's just basic needs and desires. And so the things that, that we do as kids... We do those, those things were, were survival tactics, but once you become an adult, yeah, you know what, that, that's, that's not a, that doesn't work. It's not healthy. And like you said, it's, it's overcompensating or it's an escape because that memory of that event is causing stress. And well, you know, if I, if I do a little bit of it, it's good. Then a whole lot of it must be better. Must be better. And that's not the case as, as an adult. And you've got control as an adult. You didn't have as a kid that you didn't realize you're, you're so I found for me and in, in some of my story was that I would be trapped in those patterns because they're back to what you said a minute ago they were normal and they were familiar but they're not as a they're not an effective way to cope with whatever the stress or the or the issue is as an adult as they were when when, when you were a child and it did give you a sense of control but when you start doing something like that as, yeah. a, as a child and you carry it over into adulthood, right. it's all you know, right? Right. And if, even as an adult, you can be blind to realize that's unhealthy. Right. And it takes may take someone else, like a spouse or even one of our children to go, hey, Dad, what's, what's up with that? Yeah. And they're not being critical. They're just seeing you seem to go there. Yeah. Uh, another way that I would cope would, what's the word? Daydream. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm a, I'm a visionary. Right. And I realized that. As, so part as of a, that's healthy. Yeah, it is. But I would daydream to the point of trying to escape reality. Mm-hmm. And so how would I do that today? Guys, today I would say I'm very healthy. I have a, a wife and daughters and a son-in-law. Our, all three of our daughters are grown. But 
and I know I'm a leader. And so it's interesting what I do for a living today. I mentor men and I train people to be mentors, which is crazy considering how I started out because this does not match that. But right. that's the power of God. Absolutely. But today, left to myself, I know my own patterns. In fact, it's important to know your patterns. Right. So when you're handed something as a, a child, it becomes your norm. And when it's unhealthy, you've got to step out of that right. at some point. You want to. But how, do, how would I handle that today in a dysfunctional way? I would go to my room, pull my laptop up, and just watch YouTube stuff mm-hmm. for a couple hours or so. I may scroll through Facebook. I may, I like taking care of myself. I like going to the gym and eating healthy. But if I'm trying to cope in an unhealthy way, I want to eat junk. Mm -hmm. I want to do it by myself, though. I want to sit in my bedroom, on my bed, watching YouTube and eating junk, Todd. Right. Right. It sounds ridiculous and it sounds immature, but I know when I've gone there. Right. And my, my mind gets distorted and I begin to believe lies and... I began to doubt the good things in my life. Right. That's escapism, but it, it, it hinders me every time. Does that make sense? It does, but what you said right there, you, you, you realize that you do it, so you've got some self-awareness. So when you kind of start working backwards, okay, this is my tendency, which then I start these patterns. Then there's these actions and consequences then that shapes my my reality and it impacts me, impacts my wife, my kids, and it's like an infinity wheel. And if you don't change, we, we know it's just the same, it's the same thing. And so it's like, you know, what do I need to change for that to change? So where can I trade up right here? So if it's eating the box of cookies by myself, <laughs> you know, what if I started with just went and got some, got some fruit? Well, there's nothing wrong with eating some cookies, yeah, right? But if I eat one cookie or right. two cookies, but when I eat the box. Yeah. And so I want you guys to know there's, Lay on your bed, watch YouTube, Yeah, eat some cookies, eat some chips or whatever, but know the limit. Know when you're crossing over into, hey, this is, what's really, it's more than just watching YouTube. Right. It's more than just eating junk food. Right. It's compensating for, it's escapism in some ways. Right. And so I'm thankful I realize that about myself. Right. So I don't fall into that too often, but I, I realize it when it's, I'm heading that direction. Well, and now that you realize that, you know, you don't go near as far as what you used to. I mean, I've had patterns in my own life. And once I realize them and where that ends up, well, you know what? That's not as, one, it's not as rewarding. I don't, I don't get the benefit that I did when I did things as a kid. So, you know, where, where do I trade up? So I don't stay in that pattern and in, in that loop. But it takes, it takes self-awareness to get there. One of the things you and I have in common that we have, Maybe we've walked through and still walking through at times. Mm-hmm. You and I both have said that something can happen, like in our marriages, in our work, with our kids, things that are really important to us. And I think I said work first. Let me back that up. Within our marriages, within our, our children, within our, our careers, because they're important to us. Sometimes we will take it, you called it a catastrophic perspective. Yeah, I would go straight to catastrophic. Okay, because... give me an example of that. Or what happens in your brain? Because I've done that before too. I'm going to worst case scenario and maybe there was an event that happened in the past as a, as a kid that I didn't feel like I had any control over. But then as an adult, I want to plan and prepare against that from happening. And so I think about what's the worst possible thing that could happen and what can I do 
to prevent that from happening. And part of that is, is good. That's being proactive and being prepared. But when you live there, everything is a catastrophe waiting to happen. Okay. And it just goes from a, a point of just sheer dysfunction and you being, being controlled and obsessed and always worried about the what if that probably 95% of the time, the what if never happens. And so it's exhausting. It is exhausting. Todd, you made me think of, so in, in our mentoring that we do, we put together this tool we call My Life, My Story. Mm-hmm. And I believe that until you know someone's story, right. you don't know them that well. Right. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, I know you. we go to church together. We work next to each other. Okay, I know this little bit about you, but I start hearing your story. All right. And the part of the, the tool where you, you talk about the past, the present, and the future. Mm-hmm. So what we're doing right now, you're, you're help, helping me to process some of my past, past. which if, it has brought me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. But on the part of the present, on, on the left side, you, you write things that discourage you, that feel like they defeat you, that hinder you. On the right side, you write things that encourage you and strengthen you. So when I was doing my, this for myself, on the left side, things that discourage me or, or defeat me, I put on there loss. Hmm. And I felt so discouraged. This is just a few years ago because I used to be controlled by fear of loss. I don't know if you relate to that, but right. man, when I was 37 years old, it's like God said, Chris Ellich, this is this is your issue because he loves me and he wants me to see it. You have a fear of loss and therefore... You hold back sometimes. You mm-hmm. push back sometimes. You don't take things as far as they could, as you could. And so here's the thing. When you grow up with a fear of loss, and imagine this. We moved at least 21 different times. Right. There's a lot of loss. But there's always loss of a house, a potential friendship, teachers, a sense of your yard as a, as a kid. Yard or a, a toy or something didn't, toy. Didn't, didn't make the move. And that happened before too. Hey, where's that stuff? Oh, yeah, it's in storage. We'll get it later. Mm-hmm. We weren't going to get it back. Yeah. So there's always loss. When I but when I was working on this tool for myself, I was defeated. I thought, well, God, I thought I was over that fear of loss, and it's so clearly He said to me, Chris, you, the fear of loss used to control you and live with you. Mm-hmm. It does anymore, but right. it visits you sometimes. It comes to visit, yeah. I can't tell you, I, I, I wept, I believe, going, oh my goodness, that, guys, that's such a big difference. Right. Think about a guest who would come to your front door, someone that it's hard, difficult for you to be around, and they had their luggage and said, hey, Todd, I've got to move in with you, and you're, you'd be thinking, I can't do this. What if, though, they came and they said, look, I just got to stay the weekend. Could you deal with that better? It's just a weekend. Better than permanent, yeah. Yes, and so that's what happened for me. I thought, yeah. wait a minute. I'm still going to get battled with fear of loss. Right. It's going to be a visit, but it doesn't control me or live with me anymore. Right. That was huge in my life because loss always happened. And here's the, the problem with, mm. with struggling with fear of loss. Anything good, you believe what? What would you imagine? How, how would my brain have worked? Anything that I'm given that's good, what's going to happen? It's going to be temporary. It's short-lived. It's going to be short-lived. Relationships. Mm-hmm. So many things, but namely relationships. Mm-hmm. Do you know how that hinders a person from going all in in a, in a friendship, in a marriage even? Absolutely. Because I need to limit my involvement because it's going to be gone at some point. Right. It's self-protection. It is. I've got to protect my emotions and my, and my heart. That's a miserable way. I'm going to say a miserable way to live. That's not living, Todd. No. It, it's really not. So anyway, that is a, a piece that I wasn't even thinking about sharing today. So 
Well, it's good because that you know you you go back to those things and you think about them as a kid, but as an adult, you cannot and shit on yourself. I should have done this. I should have done that. And I'm going, you know, you were you were five. You were twelve. You were. 15 or 18, how would you have had the mental capacity to process that? I mean, you're doing that now as an adult, but I think what helped me is having some grace for myself. But when I look back at that and I had to, I had to address those and experience those things as the age I was when that happened and then see myself now as an, an adult, you know, what, what did I need at that point in my life? And really having to take that to God and say, God, I need to, I need to, Hand you, hand you over the wounds from the 15-year-old Todd, the 17-year-old Todd, the 18-year-old Todd. And I remember having a conversation with myself and and the Lord. And he's going, man, I just was, I was so lonely in those moments. And God goes, yeah, you, you may have felt lonely, but you, but you weren't alone. I was I was with you. And so, you know, what if that unwanted guest didn't finally just come for the weekend, but you know what? It was only a cup of coffee and it was 20 minutes and hmm. you got to the point of health that you could work through that, that they, they didn't stay and you didn't have to have the self-preservation because what if you have finally gotten to a point and understand your identity that you've got nothing to prove, nothing to fear and, and nothing to lose because you're secure enough now in, in your identity that it's a maybe a, a 10 minute conversation you have in your head with, with, with loss or loneliness or feel like you don't belong. And it's not a, a resident that, that lives with you like it did in the past. It gives me great compassion for other people. Yep. Uh, and I'll say namely men because we're two men and we know our own journey. It's interesting. If, if someone walked up and they had a major wound on them mm-hmm. and they were weakened because of it, we probably wouldn't just say, oh, hope the best for you. We try to help them in some way, right? right? Take them to the hospital. So when you grow up and you've got wounds, but nobody knows about it but you, right? and and you don't know to share it, maybe you're embarrassed to share it, or you just you, that's not something you've been taught to do, then no one can even know that there, right? that that, that wound is there and help you with it, right? Because yeah, you've always deferred. You've you always deferred, deferred to your, the situation, your, your, your parents, the, the crisis. And no one's aware. No one's aware. And I, I grew up in, again, my, my uh, mom was basically a single mom to five kids, mm-hmm. very poor, did the best she could. She really, I mean, she worked her butt off to try to, you know, uh, give us a, a life. And so there wasn't time for, hey, mom, this is what I'm thinking about. Or, and there was no concept of having a conversation with my dad when he was in and out. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even on the table. In fact, one of my daughters asked me, this may be in another podcast, Dad, tell me about some conversations you had with your dad growing up. Mm. And I thought, I've never thought about that. And I thought for a moment, I thought, I don't have any. And she said, oh, Dad, you had some conversations with your dad. I said, no, Libby, you have to understand the kind of relationship we have where we talk about all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And I said, it wasn't even a, a mindset that we would have a conversation. I never had real conversations with my dad that I know of growing up. Mm. So with that said, if you've got, if you have a wound as a kid, when you have a wound, you should be able to go to your parent and talk, talk it through saying, this is going on. My parents didn't know how to do that. And if my mom, she probably tried at times, but she was so overwhelmed with life. It was survival mode is what it was. 
And so anyway, I have great compassion for people listening to this who are living in that right now or who are trying to walk through something and don't know how to get out of it. Right. It gives me great compassion. And what was that like just as I listened to part of your story earlier, just the, the phrase that kept coming up was survive. It's like you spent most of your childhood in just survival mode. In fact, the story you told uh, shared about, you know, you know, working as an early age and that you were earning money for you yeah. to help take care of you. Yeah. Can you, can you share part of that, that story? Well, the whole childhood was survival. I think about it now. It really was. Yeah. My first real job, this sounds crazy. In fact, it's interesting how once you're out of something and God has brought you through it and healed you, how you can laugh about some things that these things are not laughing matters, but on the other, other side, you can go, that's crazy. So I was in the fifth grade. My dad was a custodian at this little school we went to. It was out in the country. This sounds so old, but anyway, my dad, Hey, if you will clean these classrooms in the cafeteria after school, I'll pay you. Well, I thought, great, because I was always thinking, how can I earn money for myself? Mm-hmm. Uh, fifth grade, and so I, was, I began to do that. I may have gotten paid once or twice, but for some reason, it never made it to my hands, the, mm-hmm. the money. And so, But I, I ended up always doing it. And so I look back now, I had my first real job in the fifth grade. A fifth grader should not be working as a custodian to support their family. Now, if you're listening to this and you you come from another culture and you go, Chris, that's normal. Well, in the American culture, again, it's, how do I say this? There's nothing wrong with a fifth grader working. No. In fact, that's really good. I, I learned some really good skills by doing that. But it was a wrong mindset why I was working. Okay. And I was right. being taken advantage of. Right. It, this is interesting. I never thought about this. And this is not a criticism of my father. It's just like. As I process things as an adult, I go, what was my dad doing while I was doing his job? Mm, wow. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I never thought about that. Yeah. I never got paid for it, but what was he doing while I was doing his job? I think one of my siblings asked me that. I thought, I never thought about that. Yeah. So it made it difficult trying to be focused and do homework. So school was okay. My grades were okay, but I don't remember sitting down and being helped with homework. Or being asked, you have your homework done. Right. So always, I had to take the initiative in everything, it seems like. Yeah. Did that make you feel responsible for your family? Was that, or is it? I don't know that I thought of it that way. At some point, I just realized, okay, our money, or our family needs this money, so it's, I'm responsible. Yeah, I took on responsibility too soon. There was some responsibility. Yeah, I was you. handed yeah. Uh, responsibility as a, to be the man of the family way too young. Now, no one said that to me, those words. I didn't even know how to explain it or describe it myself. But as I look back, it was handed to me at a very young age. I'm the man of the house. It was unspoken. Unspoken. But, but I always felt like I've got to do this, yeah. you know, and I felt guilty for not doing it. Isn't that crazy? You know? It feels like a double bind. I mean, yeah, it you, is. If if you do it and you don't have a reward for it, if you don't do it, then you feel guilty because you, you've let down, you've let somebody down. Yeah, and yeah, not not cared for them. Which, as a child that age, you know, what should be happening is that you should be nurtured and comforted and taught. But that's I understand that struggle. One of the things that you said too that just kept rolling through my mind is that. Because of the moves, always in the transition, you said you never felt like you really belonged in any of those environments. How did that carry on over 
as you became an adult, maybe even your own family now? Well, I call myself a reserved extrovert. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's a true, you know, with the different personality assessments they give you, but I am an extrovert, but I'm a reserved extrovert. And I, I explain it this way. I enjoy public speaking. I love meeting new people. I mean, I'll walk up to a stranger any place and, and start a conversation. But I don't want attention to be drawn to me. Mm-hmm. You go, well, how do you do that if you're public speaking? It's different. I don't, for instance, if we had a birthday party for myself, for me, for, first of all, I don't want a birthday party. <laughs> I don't want people singing happy birthday to Chris and looking mm-hmm. at me. Right. So, And I'm never going to walk into a room and demand attention, ever. But being up front is not a problem for me. Now, why was I telling you that that part of it? How is it? What did you ask belonged. me? You feel like uh, struggling with feeling like you belonged. Oh, so, okay. Even as an adult today, so oh, a few months ago, I went to a, a luncheon, a business luncheon. Didn't know anyone. And I go there and it's there. you're there to meet people. But I walk in and I feel a little out of place. Not because of lack of, lack of confidence. I just feel like, okay, I'm here by myself. I'm on my own. Nobody knows me. It kind of feels like going to the new school again. Wow. And the new school was happened all the time. It's not fun being a new kid at school. You walk in the door right. and all eyes look at you and, hey, this is Chris, sit down. And you go to, especially when you're a kid, you go to recess and there's nobody to play with. There's no one to talk to. Yeah. It's interesting how that will still, I'll still feel aspects of that in a, in a new setting sometimes. Almost like every day is a job interview. Kind of, yes. And yet, you got to prove yourself. Yet, it's interesting. I enjoy going to those kind of lunches occasionally because who do I get to meet? But walking in the door by myself and wondering who do I talk to? Will I be able to connect with someone? I don't know anybody. There's a there's a little tension there. Sure. And I think it goes back to how I grew up. And how do you work through that tension now? And Um, is is it how is how is it or is it different than when you were when you were a kid? Well, it's so different now because I have skills and maturity and insight as an adult. I realize many people are feeling that way as well. Make sense? Right. They're nervous to be there as well. It's interesting how you, we can walk into a meeting like that and make the assumption, oh, everyone else here knows one another. Right. I'm the new one. Right. And I'm the odd man out. And the reality is... They're called mixers for a reason. Mm-hmm. They want people who don't know one another, don't know one another, to come together and get to know one another. Right. And so chances are many people probably come to those gatherings and they're nervous. Who will I talk to? Will I connect with somebody? You know, how will this work? It's a lot like middle school. But it, you don't realize everyone's insecure. I mean, do you deal with that sometimes? Still. I'm 55 years old. And you are, I mean, here you are, the, you're, you lead this coffee company and you're always having to meet new people, right. go to events, I imagine, to, to meet people. So here's something that, that uh, I think I put it in my notes, that God has changed in me. He's given me such a, a resolve, a deep confidence that doesn't come from education. It doesn't come from you or anybody else telling me, oh, you're such a good guy. What a great job you did. Those things are nice to hear, but it is a confidence that God has given me through the Holy Spirit. So if, if you are wondering, what are you talking about, Will? There's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God lives in me because of my faith in Christ. But he's done something so, well, not just different because other people can have this too, but he's given me this deep confidence, Todd, that nobody can touch. Now, you can say something and hurt my feelings, and you can discourage me and frustrate me, and 
and I can struggle some, but it stops at a certain level. It doesn't reach the depth. Like it did when you were a child. Oh, at yeah. all. And I'm so grateful for this. And it's not arrogance at all. I mean, arrogance has nothing to do with it. It is this resolve that I know who I am. Mm-hmm. I know who I am today. And yet I still have weaknesses. I will still doubt myself on certain things, but it doesn't get to the core of who I am. So many years ago, I was in my mid-30s, and I was on staff at this church in Arizona. And we had this campus set up where different buildings, you know, you'd walk from this building to that building. And I'm talking to this older man who was our music minister at the time. And he was probably older. I mean, he was in his 60s at the time, which seemed ancient to me. And he said, Chris Elledge, he goes, I like the way you walk. I said, what are you talking about? He goes, you walk like you know where you're going. Wow. And I, th- I said, wait a minute, explain that to me. He goes, you just walk with this confidence that your, your shoulders are back, your head's up. You know where you're going. And it's not to that building. And that resonated with me. And I go, where does that come from? That comes from my relationship with God. It, and he's given me that deep confidence. So uh, I'll never forget that. It always, it'll, it'll stay with me. Because this is the same guy that was so insecure as a kid. Right. So Todd, I mean, not having a, be raised by a father to be able to have conversations with. My mom did, a, did the best job she could raising me, but she could not teach me how to be a man. Right. She's not supposed to. She's a woman. Right. It's not a, she I can need, only do so much. That's not a criticism. That's a fact of life. A man needs a man to help him understand what manhood is. So I didn't have that. So, I, man, I, I struggled. Like, what is it to be a man? Do I qualify? Do I? How do I compare with these other guys? Yeah. Am I good enough? Am, Am I, I good enough? I never felt like I matched up to other guys. Well, who? I mean, you're sitting here now with uh, what you spend so much of your time doing is mentoring men. Going back, who was the person, who's the first person that you remember that uh, took on that role for you, whether it was, you know, official or unofficial? The first one that was deliberate, and that's, that's, that's important to me, yeah. intentional and deliberate, right. would be a guy who was my singles pastor. I was 25, 26 years old, and he was very deliberate with conversations with me. And he's still a part of my life this mm-hmm. many years later. And so, what's interesting, I have never been mentored at the depth that I mentor other men. And then, isn't that ironic? And I go, why is that? I used to be frustrated with that. But I, I go, that's probably part of the passion that I have for it. Because I know what guys are missing. I, I know what they need for the most part. And I thought, man, I want to be that for other men. Right. I really do. I, I totally, that resonates with me because there's things that I didn't have. And now that I have tasted them and experienced it and seen how healthy it is, man, you, man, once you've been to the summit, you've been to the top of the mm-hmm. mountain and have you experienced it, man, you want other people to experience that as well. And if you haven't experienced in your own life growing up and you've spent years and years looking in the mirror at yourself, you can recognize that look in someone else's face. You can. And I think a lot of that is just discernment from the Holy Spirit because you're, it's, it's a familiar look. And it's interesting how we can make assumptions about other people, right? Right. I can look at other men and go, oh, they've got it all together. They have no problems. They're so confident. They have all the answers. And I've learned at this point in my life, no one does. But it's interesting. It's ironic 
I don't know if ironic is the word to use or not, but because how I grew up so insecure, so lost, feeling so alone, for what I get to do today is a privilege of mentoring men and training other mentors. I go, God, how did that happen? And so guys, I know they're looking at me sometimes Mm -hmm. making the assumptions. Mm -hmm. Wow, Chris must have had a great life growing up. His father, he probably had this with his father. He's been given this and this and this. And then I get, I have the privilege to sit down with them and go, okay, let me tell you my journey. Right. And so I think it gives guys hope for their own lives to go, okay, I am really insecure, but I don't have to remain here because you tell me that you've got this resolve inside of you. Right. So anyway. Well, the pain, and I, I can't quote you the, the reference to the scripture right now, but pain produces perseverance. And then perseverance produces hope. And when your hope is in Christ, like you said, as far as entity, that, that hope doesn't disappoint. Not at all. But it doesn't mean that it's not a long, hard, painful road to get there. And the things that that we've struggled with the very most are also the things that produce our character that allow us then to lead other men. We weren't ever... We weren't ever meant to be a lone ranger and live isolated or alone. I heard the quote this last week that's really good. You can go faster by yourself, but if you want to go farther, you need a, you need other people. You need mm-hmm. a team. You need other men. You need a mentor. You need a team to go with you. And I think that's that's the thing that trips so many men up is that we're isolated. And we're all a bunch of middle school boys that are working really hard in our insecurity to act like we have it all together, but we haven't been honest and authentic with one another and realize that, that we need to lean on each other. Todd, something that I struggled with as a young man, asking for help. Yeah, me too. I never asked for help on any level. Right. And just just a practical aspect, if you're getting ready to graduate from college or you're changing jobs or you want to, if you let it be just on your shoulders right. and you try to figure it out, you're going to struggle in some ways. You don't have to ask for help. But I was so insecure, and I thought that's weak. Asking for help is a sign of weakness for me growing up, and it's actually a strength. It is. And so I've learned ask for help. Now it's interesting. I will drift back into that mindset sometimes if I'm not careful. Hey, I've got this situation. I don't know what to do with that. I'll figure it out. Wait a minute. If I can figure it out, if it's something simple, sure. But Chris, ask for help. Don't right. be a hypocrite. It's called wisdom. It's not weakness. It, you're, you're right. It is. It's it, Asking for help is such an important thing. But I didn't know that I could do that. And it makes sense how I grew up. I always had to take the initiative in every area. And you just get up and do it. Yeah. And and to ask for help, it just wasn't It wasn't on, in the mindset at all. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's not a natural thing. You go to. Oh, I should ask for help for that. But um, when you do, and you realize that you're not doing it alone, I had a friend that shared with me when I was going through part of my struggles that we talked about in your other podcast, and he said, uh, "His name's also Todd." He goes, "Todd, shared sorrows are half sorrows, and shared blessings are double blessings." Okay, say that again. Shared sorrows. If I share a pain or a struggle with you, okay, you've got two sets of shoulders carrying it, so it's mm. it's um, it's half sorrows, shared blessings or, or double blessings, because we get to celebrate and enjoy that together. One of the this was I, I never had this said to me or done for me. I don't think growing up, but guys that I've mentored, mm-hmm. I will send them a message 
usually a voice message because I want them to hear my voice. And I'll say, I wanted, I was thinking about you today. Mm-hmm. Something so simple. Right. See, that was weird when I was growing up. A guy does not tell another guy, hey, I've been thinking about you today. Right. Why is that weird? And I want to know how you're really doing. Right. That's powerful. I, it's powerful. And so, and I, I can tell guys with such ease, God puts them in my life and these relationships are developed, these friendships are, that I really love these men. And I can tell you, every man that has been a part of that has embraced that so quickly. It's, it's. Well, you've done that with me, and I appreciate when I get a voice message and you call me by name, Todd. I'm, I'm thinking about you today. Hmm. And it's like, wow, really? Someone else is actually thinking about me today. How often do you? Okay, I don't know how often you some, sometimes feel alone on the journey, right? But you and I know you're not, right? I'm not either, but we still feel alone sometimes. Sometimes, I mean, we get stuck in our heads. Guys, if you're listening, as you're listening to this, we understand you get stuck in your head. The past, whatever it is, starts messing with your head again. And you think, I can't do this. How's this going to work out? I am alone. Nobody really cares about me. Nobody really knows me. Ask for some help. Right. And so I know that I'm not alone, but it still feels like it is sometimes. And we're looking through, you know, the the tapes of our past or, or are what drives us and we're really you know present past looking you know graham cook talks about you know being present future so those things that happened in the past don't have to drive and determine where we are right now and then we have the mind of christ we can be present future but we do have to go back and, and and deal with the past but once we've dealt with it we don't have to keep going back it's as dangerous as driving down the highway and only looking through your rearview mirror you're gonna run over a lot of people or you're going to find yourself in the ditch yourself. But man, when we have that present future mindset, it's also called vision. It allows you to be hopeful. And if you're not doing it alone, you've, you've got a team of people that are for you. And that's what I hear you say. And that we're part of my story is that once I know that people are for me and I'm not alone, I can be authentic and, and share my thoughts or my struggles. Don't even need you to fix it for me. Just know there's someone there that is for me that will listen and also has a different perspective that can see some of my blind spots. Very much so. And, and Todd, sometimes from being isolated. You and I both have, I think it's fair to say strong marriages and they're strong because of things we've gone through. Right. Right. So don't misunderstand. We don't have perfect marriages, but we have strong, healthy marriages because of stuff that we've gone through. And we've gone through it together. We've gone through it together with our spouses Sometimes it helps as a man to have another man just to talk through some of these things with because your brain works more like my brain does. You know, you have all girls, and I do too. Right. I imagine this has happened in your life many times. You say something, and your wife and your four daughters look at you like, (laughs) what is your problem? Yeah. And you're thinking, what? That's happened to me. I'm going, what are you talking about? Why Why is that weird? Why is that goofy? Sometimes our brains just work differently. Right. And so it helps so much to have another man. And that's part of the reason I wanted you to interview me because just how you had the courage to be real about your own journey, I thought, I want this guy. In fact, doing this with someone else would have made them uncomfortable to do with me, mm. I think. And that's okay. I live in uncomfortable. But <laughs> so. yeah. I, well, I think that's, that's part of our journey. Yeah. We've been so uncomfortable at times because of pain right. that we've learned to be comfortable with the uncomfortable. Right. Does that sound cheesy? No, it doesn't. It's, it, it's true. And it, there's something about just saying, saying it out loud and 
and speak in what that struggle is. Very much so. And it's not so ominous and overwhelming once I've called it what it is and allow God to work in that area or me surrender it and also realize, you know, what do I have control over in this situation? What do I not have control over? Well, I can control the controllables. That's an obvious statement. So if I can't control this other, what am I going to do with it? Am I just going to go to catastrophic and just have the fear of what if, or am I going to trust that God is going to be with me and navigate through that? And then I'm not controlled by that fear. I, I'm reminded, something you just said made me think of this. this in spite of living and survival, not living, being in survival mode growing up my whole life until, you know, I left home, I always had this, I say always, but I came to Christ at the age of nine, meaning I know the Spirit of God got a hold of me and said, Chris Elledge, you're mine, I want you. And so at the age of nine, I accepted Christ. And that sounds maybe for some churchy, but it's not churchy. In fact, it's just the opposite. That relationship with God began, and at the age of nine, it had rained, and you know the, it, the sun was coming through the clouds. I looked up, and man, I knew God was with mm. me, Todd. At the age of nine, I was down the street from where we lived. Mm. Feeling alone, not feeling heard or understood, but looking up at the sky that day, I mean, it's still, it's like yesterday. It's like God said, Chris Elledge, I know you. Mm. I'm with you. I'm not going anywhere. At the age of nine, guys, that's possible for you. And so, guess what? My circumstances still were, were crappy. Mm-hmm. They really were uh, for years after that. But I had the presence of God in my life to walk me through things. Mm. So when I'd feel alone, I mean, talk about dialogues with God. In fact, over the years, guys, I have we talk about prayer. Um, to me, it's just talking to God. Prayer has become like breathing for me. And what I mean by that is this. You don't have to tell yourself to breathe. If you did, that'd be miserable. Okay, breathe, inhale, exhale. I have I just talked to God throughout the day about everything and being honest with Him. About being it. honest with Him, yeah. and um, so it's become like like breathing for me. Prayer has but anyway. So with that said, I look back over my life and I go, wait a minute, God, you were there, and you were there, and you were there. So get this, Todd. I, I some of the notes I'd given you. Oh, get this. I was given the award in the seventh grade, the Quiet Award. What? I was so embarrassed because I was so internalized because of junk that this teacher, you know, she's giving people awards. She can't figure out what to give me. So we're going to give, you come up we're going to give Chris the quiet award. <laughs> Do you know how much you don't want that award? No. And so, you know, she calls your name. Uh, Chris gets the quiet award. I'm thinking, I hate my life right now. I'm a seventh grader and I've got to walk to the front of the class. You just called me a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> and, Accept this goofy award, and you know what I said? Nothing. Because <laughs> I earned it. I was quiet. I was like, I hate my life. Mm. But it's interesting. I look back, but it was also seventh grade. I think I was president of my seventh grade class. I don't know how that happened. I don't. I don't. 
I don't know how that even happened. I didn't rem- don't remember running for it. But I never felt popular. I never felt, again, no, never felt connected. But as I look back, God has put me in front of people over the years. So in the fifth grade, Todd, this little school I attended, two of my friends, we were having a talent show at the school. And it was like, back then it would have been like uh, American Idol to us as a fifth grader. Sure. So we decided to enter the contest, and we were going to sing a song by John Denver called Country Roads. Country Road, <laughs> take me home. So my friend played guitar, and how well I don't know. We were fifth graders. I didn't play any instrument, but I loved to sing. And music has always been a part of my, important part of my life. I had a set of maracas. <laughs> I had one maraca. Because you need a set of maracas for a good John Denver song. <laughs> My other friend had the other maraca, and we sang Country Roads in front of the host school with a guitar and two maracas. Okay, we had matching shirts, which I thought was so cool. <laughs> anyway, so we qualified to go to the next level, where you go to and compete with other schools. Now, we didn't do so well then, but i tell you <laughs> that story. I knew I belonged up there. Uh. And yet I was so insecure and shy and fearful and felt alone. And yet being up in front of people to share something, either in a song or a message. So also that year, even though I was so timid and and insecure, there was a club called 4-H. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you ever heard of it. Sure. But you could sign up for it and you had two choices. You could buy an animal like a pig or something and raise them. Right. I didn't want to do that. We didn't have the money for that or the land. I had no desire to raise an animal. Or you can enter enter speech contest. I chose speech contest, which makes no sense on paper because... The guy who won the quiet award. <laughs> the guy who got the quiet award. But in the fifth grade, I signed up to give speeches. So I worked on this speech. And I, Todd, I can't uh, explain how nervous I was the day of the speech. So we're at our school and you're competing against you know your classmates. And it's my turn. I'm so nervous. I get up there and I open my mouth and it just happens. Hmm. And I get a blue award, a blue a blue ribbon. Right. I thought, wow, that's kind of cool. So then you go to the next level and you compete against other schools. And this, uh, so I'm at this school and I thought, okay, I want to do this. And then it's time to do it, and I'm regretting it. Going, what's wrong with me? I can't do this. I mean, that self talk that mm-hmm. that just puts you in a dark hole. And I mean, we were poor. I don't know what I was wearing, but it wasn't very nice, I'm sure. And the guy right before me. He looked like the all-American kid, and he had the, back then, it was cool if you had a, a Navy uh, sports jacket with the brass buttons. Oh, yeah. With a tie. You were styling. Right. He, that's what he was wearing. He was polished. He was polished in every way, and I just thought, I am the biggest loser on the planet. I was comparing myself to him, mm-hmm. and he was right before me, and I, I, I could have, I wanted to uh, run out of that room so, so badly. He finishes, and I thought, I'm a loser. Chris Elledge, I go up there. Mm. I mean, I wanted to run. I opened my mouth, and guess what? I got the blue ribbon and a medal that day. And I thought, this is crazy. So I tell you these stories. Being in a, a music contest, giving speeches, I look back at all along the way, God's hand has been on me to direct me to what I'm doing today, Todd. Right. It's happened again and again and again. And uh, even though I was really shy and timid, I've always been good with people, hearing people's stories. I remember in, in junior high, even, people telling me their problems. I remember thinking, why are they telling me this? 
and they'd say, it's, man, it just feels so good to be able to tell you this. Now, I don't remember ever having somebody I could tell my problems to. Right. Uh, I probably wouldn't have told them anyway. Uh, but then high school, college, that happened. And so it's just interesting. I see the thread throughout my life, even with all the pain and the dysfunction that God has me doing what I do today. Because they feel safe with you to share their story because you've got some uh, understanding. Yeah, and it's, I just, I know, I didn't have a voice growing up. Mm-hmm. I mean, that may be part of it. And now I talk for a living, Todd. <laughs> Was there a point that the, you know, that the light switch flipped on that, you know what, I, I, I do belong and I am cared for, I am loved, and I do I do belong in the room. Was there ever one moment, or was it a gradual process? No, I think it was gradual. People, I think people, if, if you were to interview people who've known me over the years, they would have told you, they would tell you, Chris has always had a certain amount of confidence, which wasn't true. I wasn't trying to wear a mask, but that's what they saw. They saw authenticity. It, it wasn't, I mean, I was really insecure, and yet I would. God would have me get up and share something, either publicly or one-on-one, and maybe that has come across as pure confidence. But I would do that in the middle of, of great um, fear at times and insecurity. Yeah, so, no, I don't, I don't remember a time that, oh, this is it, I've got this down. But, yeah, very grateful for all that God's brought me through. Anything else on the notes that I gave you that, that stands out to you? I mean, no, there's things we didn't cover because we don't have time, but anything else comes to mind? Not from not from the notes here, but I guess okay. just for me outside looking in and even even knowing you as a friend now. Yeah. And once you hear someone's story and you understand where they came from and you see how God uses that, you just go, wow. I think for me it's encouraging, like, okay, if you can do that with Chris, you know, maybe maybe there's hope for me. If you're able to walk through uh, some things like you did and, and, and Todd and Jeannie's marriage, dealing with anxiety and, and depression and always feel like you're having to perform to, to be approved of and, and be considered or, or feel like a success, it's like, oh, wow. Maybe I'm also using the wrong yardstick. Mm. And my identity is not in where I came from or what I have or what I don't have or how I perform. Uh, it really is my identity and, and my hope and my belonging comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's really simple, but we try to fill those gaps with what the, what the world has to offer. Yes. And once you see authenticity, you know, what, I think why people come to us in different circumstances or phases of life or a crisis because they, they see something different. And uh, it keeps us from being puffed up and, and arrogant because we understand the pain, we understand the journey, we understand the isolation that comes from that. And wow, there's there's something different. And uh, you can't do it on your own, or we would have done it, uh, but you can do it in community. Todd, I've shared this in a past episode of our podcast, but God doesn't make mistakes. So he created Chris Elledge. He created you, Todd. He didn't make mistakes in doing that. But when I look back over growing up, I've had this said to me in the past by a family member, you were so withdrawn and insecure and you're so different than you are now. And I heard that and I I almost agreed with that. 
Yes, some of those things are true, but Todd, who, how God made me has always been there from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So he made me to, to connect with people. He made me to want to speak in front of people. He made me with a love for music. He made me to have a, a confidence that impacts other people. Right. But it was covered up with junk. Right. And so it, the real Chris Illich wasn't seen for many years, I believe. Is that fair to say for you Safe as well? Safe for me too. And then what you're seeing is now you're, you're seeing maturity and you're seeing growth and you're seeing health. And I think that's what's attractive to people because they saw the old us or what they thought was, what they the, thought old, was, was, was the old us. us or what I thought you thought was the old me, which sometimes are dramatically different. And I want to encourage people, man, today is a new day. Begin if you need to get some help, get some help. You need a counselor, get see a counselor. You need a mentor. I'd say you do. Get a mentor. Walk through some of these things. Let the real you be seen, but you got to get that junk off of you. Right. And so looking at your life and go, just a, a funny thing that I want I want to share is I look back over my life as God has given me a desire for to to speak to people, to connect well. All right. And a sense of adventure like what what's out there in the world? Like, I always used to think as a grade school kid, what's it like in other countries? Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't have any idea that I'd be living with my family <clears throat> in another country years later. Right. But music has always been such a part of my life. Todd, do you know what my favorite song was when I was five years old? No, tell me. There was a Frank and Nancy Sinatra song called Something Stupid. <laughs> what five? No, really, what was the name of the song? No. <laughs> What five-year-old listens to Frank and Nancy Sinatra? Right. And that seems so quirky when I think back about it. While you were cleaning it. the house. Well, I was... <laughs> that's, that's what it was. Listen to Frank Sinatra as a five-year-old, cleaning the house, and that blesses me. Oh. No, but music has always been such a part. So even today, God can use music of all kinds of music. It doesn't have to be certain lyrics that can move me. And mm-hmm. I feel hope. He just uses music in, a, in an interesting way with me. And so, anyway, I just want to encourage guys. Guys, look over your journey. Let's say you're 20 years old. Look back as far as you can. If you're 30 or 40, look back as far as you can and ask God to show you aspects, how has he made you? What are likes and dislikes he's given you? What are things that you're drawn to? He, he has made you, and he wants you to appreciate and enjoy these things. But life will have a way of trying to drown those things out. Right. Yeah, to knock you down and, and keep you down. So anyway. And gratitude helps that too. I mean, I had someone share with me, he goes, Todd, look back over your life and who are the, the men and people that have been in your life that have had a positive impact on you. And they way outnumbered my insecurities. Mm. And so I think it started with me having some self-awareness and it started with me having some gratitude. Okay. And then as we get healthy... There's, there's two parts of that relationship. We need to get healthy, but we, then we also need to be pouring, under, pouring into other people and other men. So it's not just flowing one way. It's coming in, it's going out, and it's benefiting other people. Actually, every time I mentor a man, I benefit from it as well, Todd. Absolutely. It, it stirs me. It changes me some. And, uh, yeah, I'll, I don't think I'll ever stop doing it. And it gets you out of your head, like you said earlier, and, and getting you outside of yourself and just focus on your stuff. You know what? It's not near as as bad and catastrophic as I think it could be. As it could or be. Is. Yeah. So gratitude is a huge prescription for anxiety and fear. 
Okay, before we close, any any last words? Are you good to go? No, uh, it's been it's been a pleasure to sit and visit with you, and also just hear your story and hear why you have the passion that you have. And we've got some similar uh, interests there because you know we we want to see other men be healthy. We Very want much to see so. them lead well in their marriages. We want them to lead well with their kids. But I think the crux of that is we just I want men to to be healthy. And not just happy, but to be healthy and have joy and have peace because then everything else happens out of an overflow. Well, I want to thank you for doing this with me. It's interesting. I mean, God put you on my mind. Todd Vincent is the one to do this with Mm -hmm. you. And you were so quick to say, I would love to do that. And so, guys, you don't have to be on a podcast to do this. I encourage you, women as well, ladies, find another woman. Men, find another man. And ask, sit down with them with a cup of coffee. And ask them to share some of their story with you. Yeah, just be authentic. Be it's, real. It's, it's good stuff, and it does change it. So anyway, uh, thank you guys for today. And Todd, thank you again for, for taking the time to interview me. And it's been a privilege to process some of my journey with you. Thanks for the invitation. It's, a, it's an honor to, to call you my friend. thank you as always for listening if today was helpful if something that you listened to was helpful we would really love it if you would go to apple or spotify leave us a review download subscribe and for all things related to podcast if you'd like to give a financial contribution to help us continuing bringing this sort of broadcasting to you just go to fahrenheitmentoring.org Hi, this is Chris Corral, producer of the Fahrenheit Real Life Mentoring Podcast. This podcast is produced through a partnership with the Confetti Corral Boutique and Michelle Corral Realtor. To find out more about these businesses who support our vision and ministry, go to confetticorral.com or find them on Facebook.